0: We ran two instances because it was still a different company. It was running a starter still BSL, it has a different stock trading and all that. So it was running the SAP, but the same SAP. As soon as the approval came, we just broke the wall. That is the plugin. We just broke the wall, added the number of users to our domain. So our users got added by another, say, whatever number of people. So I'm just, I don't exactly know the number, say whatever number of people, 7,000, 8,000, whatever. So just got at. So I increased my capacity of processing. Increased my machine capacity, cloud capacity so that it can take the extra load. But the business processes were seamlessly integrated
1: because it was running the same process. Better. Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Daily Tech Conversation where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs and investors. I'm Hari Arakali, And in this episode, Jayanta Banerjee, Group CIO of Tata Steel, talks about how the company built successful IT architectures for multiple acquisitions as it ramped up its operations in India. Jayanta, who previously led the energy and resources practice at Tata Consultancy Services, talks about the big-picture context in which the digital transformation projects at Tata Steel are being implemented, the growth of the business in a sustainable fashion for the future. But we began with how he sees his own role and the many ways in which it has changed over the years.
0: Very simply, I see my role as a business leader who invests in technology to create business value in terms of ROI, which is quantitative as well as qualitative. Because I truly believe that Technology is not the most important aspect. Uh, technology needs to be contextualized to the business context to create value. And uh, we see that whenever that does not happen, and that's the challenge. If it doesn't happen, then technology by itself cannot exist. Right? So it's an enabler. But anyway, how it has, and this role has changed over the years. right? So, so over the last 30 years, whatever I've seen, IT has moved from, a typical back-office function, right, uh, to right now at the board, if you will. That's, that's the journey IT as an industry has kind of uh, transformed itself. So it used to be, if you look at the, just not going back 30 years, but if you look at the early 2000s, uh, to say 2010 or whatever, IT predominantly gained a lot of importance from a standardization perspective. Right. so it was erp led because if you have observed at that time sap and oracle and all the other erps and they were leading the kind of uh, industry transformation that the business processes need to be standardized and that was an opportunity at that time across the enterprise within enterprises that was a decade led through led by standardization then it switched gears as if you look at say around 2015 to even now but it has fast accelerated in the recent years it is all cloud in my view, from a technology perspective. So your data can be anywhere, and you don't need to go to the computer to access your data. Your data is with you. Now, even if you're an automobile, that's your age computer. Even wherever you are, data is with you. And the third dimension that is now, and that I call is the data democratization. So you move from standardization to democratization, and now to personalization or hyper-personalization, whatever you want to put it, which is going to be led by AI and the future of the industry is going to be led by AI. So the role of a CIO across these dimensions is to drive and lead the change in the business. Then how do you standardize? So the focus of a CIO in the early 2000s, late 90s till around 2010 was to standardize business processes, to harmonize business processes, focus on mergers and acquisitions, Right so that the same thing can be done in a standard manner across the enterprise, right? right? Bring in best practices, what has been successful in another company. Uh, as you run finance and accounts in another company, you can run finance and accounts in your company as well by following the same process if there is a better way of doing so, so that used to be the focus. And there was, there was a cost element of it. Possibly the ROI was not being measured to a high degree. Now when cloud came in, uh, the CIOs are now looking at leveraging that infrastructure to see that, okay, how the business models can be changed. You have seen across the globe, there are many, many companies who have changed the business model uh, by leveraging cloud, right? By leveraging data that is available with us always. So, it, it has become a business-centric group with, as the technology move. So, you are absolutely now driving a business model change. You are showing the business that there is another way of conducting business, right, uh, through online through multimodal, through omni-channel. So we we all watch Netflix or say Amazon uh, or say uberization and servitization are becoming general terms, right? So that's another leading change or the drive that the CIO is, today's CIO will do. And then comes AI. So now CIOs have to lead through that how do you create content? Because the consumer's behavior has changed, if you ask me. consumer. Today's consumer mostly the Gen Z and tomorrow the Gen Alpha is going to create their own content, curate their own content and consume their own content. So in that context, uh, what we will see is that everything will become personalized. As a consumer, as a, as a consumer, I go to Amazon or I go and buy online or we sell still uh, still through online process. We have an Asiana platform in Tata's Steel's context. Uh, We see our customer, they want personalized service. How do I service a individual or a group of individuals? Even in pharmaceutical companies, that is happening, right? So that change needs to be driven, and AI as a technology will help. So CIO's role role is changing as to continuously look at what is the technology that is available, how to invest in the technology, and create that ROI in terms of, say, profit or qualitative benefit or a business model change. So that is why I said what I said, uh, that the CIO has become a business leader, or I, at least I look at it that way, who invests in technology to create and contextualize uh, to business to create that r So,
1: In the Tata Steel context, uh, can you give us a sense of what are the implications of uh, these trends? You mentioned personalization, and you, I think you mentioned a, a platform, if I heard you right, you called it Asiana.
0: See, Tata Steel as a company has always invested in technology and has always spear- spearheaded and uh, adopted technology in its in its forte. Uh, so, very the conventional manufacturing company, if you go by a lot of data, people say that manufacturing company do not imbibe technology to the extent of financial services company. Well, yeah, that is true to a large extent. But I'm proud to say that Tata Steel has adopted technology so way back when I talked about standardization. Actually, we did a single instance S4HANA implementation when S4HANA was first available, right? So the the point is that, and this was one of the arguably one of the largest migrations in Asia, definitely, and maybe globally one of the few very large-scale migrations uh, that we did. So standardization was one aspect. What it did to business is that today it has become a plug and play. I'm not only talking about SAP, I'm talking about the whole standardization tech stack, the entire ERP and lot of stuff. We created a template for ourselves where any acquisition that we do becomes a very seamless integration into the company. And that is very important, very, very important. As you know, we acquired uh, long products, the Usha Martin Tata Steel LP that is today. We acquired Nilachal. we acquired Tata Steel Bhushan Steel, which is a part of Tata Steel today, which is We call it Tata Steel Miriam and These are very large, complex acquisitions, right? And and when we did the acquisition, uh, we did not have much IT systems in the company that we acquired, right? So, but they are seamlessly became a part of Tata Steel without disrupting any of the business because of this standardization and the plug and play ability that we have created. So for us, it is just an addition of some more users, integration of some more processes, and quickly catering for the new processes or the new business lines that the acquired company may or may not be having, right? So it has become very very seamless, it's, and we are we are doing it in a in a matter of two to three months, or sometimes in a matter of 12, uh, 10 to twelve weeks, right? So that is the power of standardization, and that's very important to note. Uh, so uh, and we are proud as a company we are still running a single instances for HANA, which is which is something that I have not seen in my global exposure. Many companies do. It's a, it's a struggle, but we have been lucky, and we are we are proud that we have been able to do that. That is one aspect. Second, from there we move to democratization, and there is a reason we made significant investments in around 2018 in creating the democratization template, because we we thought and we saw that data will be the the key thing, right? And we have to give the data at the consumption layer to create business value in the hands of the consumer. And the consumer can be an enterprise consumer, a consumer can be within the company, and consumer can be the customer to whom we sell and do business with. So that platform, the data platform was extremely important. So what we did, just to go into a little bit more detail and articulate it in a little bit, the way we actually did it is that we created a macro called Cloud Data AI. That's the three stages of transformation we Created the template. The first will invest in cloud, which will give us the the democratization and standardization template. Then we'll invest in data, which is going to be the key for any business insights to come. And then we will invest in AI. Not necessarily in that that one has to finish before the other can start, but it is sequential as well as some bit of it can be done in parallel. Then we gave us a seven layer architecture, which is extremely critical. That is, you build the road before building the car. And that's a philosophy I firmly believe in. Right? So, we first said that we will invest in cybersecurity, we'll invest in network, we'll invest in cloud because that will give us the base infrastructure. We will invest in sensorization because that's very important for digital transformation. And that's the base layer. Without that, digital cannot happen because digital is not an app. This transformation can only happen when you are getting data from these different. Uh, assets, right? And we are an asset-heavy industry. Then we created an application platform. That is, your whether it is an ERP platform, whether it is a supply chain platform, whether it is an HR platform, whether it is a manufacturing execution system, that's the platform, the application layer. On top of it, we created a data layer, which I call it the data virtualization layer, because business does not actually consume neither sensors, nor network, nor application. What they consume is data. Data is the only thing that business needs to operate. And data is a business asset. So, we made a lot of investment in creating the data platform, right? The, what I call, try to call it the single version of truth. It is, it's the biggest challenge in, in the entire IT industry to create a single version of truth. Otherwise, you have multiple versions of truth. And more we acquire, we get into this challenge more and more because it is my data versus somebody else's data. Then on top of it, your analytics your insights, your AI, your virtualization, your user apps will run. Right. So, that's the seven-layer architecture. In the sequence, we made those investments. So, in Tata's the context, there are many platforms we created. One is, we call it the connected people. And I will explain it a little bit more. The second one is connected assets. The third one is connected transactions or connected operations. And the fourth one is connected customer. Right? And then there are some few more, but these are the most important. When I talk about connected people, what we have done, we have geofenced our entire company through sensorization. I will not go into the technical details of it. We can track our people real time through the sensorization, through the, through the with the with the card we carry, like the RFID card, or we could give all of us a Surakshak. So, with that, once you're within the Tatasville premises, you can be tracked and the data can be uploaded every whatever. We selected two minutes as a frequency. We can do it in milliseconds, but then the data volume and the transaction volume will go up. So we um, kept it at two minutes left. The point is that for safety, and steel is a hazardous industry. Once you come into our premises, we have to take care of safety of our people. That is paramount importance. So anybody has any trouble. So we can, within real time, we can retrieve that person because we exactly know where the person is. If you're working in a hazardous location, We need to real-time, we can check whether you have the permit to work there or you don't have the permit to work there. If you don't have the permit, that means you have gone into hazardous location, we can retrieve you from there, right? So you can can get a sense of what, there is a huge number of use cases. This served us extremely well during COVID. The entire business continuity, real-time tracking, uh, real-time social distancing, everything, all protocols, entire footfall management was done through this platform of connected workforce. So I'm not going into too much of detail, but just to give you a sense. Second is that if you come to uh, connected assets, so that is from sensorization, we call it the maintenance technology roadmap, where I can drive the predictability of my maintenance. So earlier, we started with condition-based monitoring, where you keep on doing the daily management, go and check that, okay, okay, this has now come to its maintenance period, so it has been six months, so we have to bring down the equipment and maintain it and then put it back. Today, we are seeing that okay no it is running fine so no need to maintain it no need to ground it and hence lose production it can run for some more time or this needs immediate attention all of that can be done through different kind of sensors and analyzing the data and driving that predictability and now we have to we are moving towards prescriptive what needs to be done in the future the third if you move to connected operations where we are focusing on where to buy coal from when to buy and what kind of coal can, can be bought, which will give us the best chemistry mix, given the constraints of supply chain, given the constraints of raw material procurement and all that, and thus ensuring that the production is at speed, right? So that's a hugely complicated modeling that we are doing. And the fourth dimension that you asked, since I mentioned Ashiana and coming to customer last, is it is an online portal for us. And there are many other, this is the B2C part of it, and there are B2B and corporate customers part of it. Where fundamentally what it does is we want to we put a catalog of what our products are online. Customers can come and choose. It's an individual home builder platform. See so if I want to build a house, so I need steel, I need many other materials, I need labor, I need uh, other other materials. I make it very, very convenient for the customer to find all of it together at one place and then create the BOQ, create the bomb, and then make sure that he's able to get everything together, everything at one place, cost estimate everything to build his house. So that is the Ashyana portal. And that is just accelerating like anything, because more and more people, including people from outside of India, they want to uh, build a house for their parents living in India, but they are actually living in the US, just as an example. And it becomes just an online transaction for them. So. That is where the business is going. Just to give you a sense, I'm not going into any details, but these platforms actually serve us that many use cases come out of this platform. So once you build a platform, then every day when business wants something, it is readily available within a very short period of time. And the new use case can emanate out of this platform. So that's how we're running the operation. I talked about connected transactions. We have outsourced our, say, finance and accounting, HR, payroll, um, uh, some part of IT, Right, the transactional part of IT procurement, all of that were um, outsourced so that the transactions run in a standardized manner and in a central uh, manner, so that every business process in every corner of the company is run in the similar manner. So that's the connected transactions platform, so that we can focus on the business transformation and not get into the everyday running of transactions. Right. So that is what is more automated and more tool based. So that that is a flavor.
1: Again, from a more general audience's perspective, uh, maybe you could give us a sort of very brief overview of the company. I mean, uh, my own knowledge of the history of the company is also limited. I mean, I know it's more than 100 years old uh, and today one of the biggest steel producers in the world, global operations. Uh, Maybe you could give us a sense of the kind of global scale and scope of operations. Uh, You know, how many people, uh, you know, the group has and all your digital transformation projects, how many people does it touch on a daily basis?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you look at, we are are a global company. Yes, you are absolutely right. Uh, Almost $32 billion in revenue and all that is all information that everybody knows. Uh, But we have an operation in Netherlands as you know. So that's what iModern site operations. We have an operation in UK and we have the operations in India and also Southeast Asia. But mostly if you look at our future forecast and strategy is that our growth will be in India. And that is where we are making all the acquisitions. So strategically, we are going to grow in India from a million ton perspective. So we are possibly targeting around 40 million ton plus, somewhere in the range of 40 million to 50 million uh, by 2030 in India. Right. So that's what we are trying to do. And that is the reason if you also look at the business between flat products and lawn products will possibly make it equitable. Uh, uh, and we have made those acquisitions like Nilachal. We made the acquisition like Bhushan Steel, we said, uh, Miramandali. So the 116-year-old plus-year-old company is Tata Steel Jamshedpur. Whenever people think about, for general audience, think about Tata Steel, it is Jamshedpur. Yes, that is true. Uh, but Jamshed, Jamshedpur capacity is somewhere in the 10 to 11 billion ton capacity. And I don't think that there is any expansion that will happen in Jamshedpur. Uh, so we are we are already reached the highest uh, capacity. Right. so now after that you are seeing that we have done a lot of investments in the build up of position so whether it is kalinganagar which is a very new plant right uh, then we have miramandeli that is bhushan steel uh, we have nilachal uh, so we have also done the other acquisition that is a long products so you can see that the epicenter is moving from jamshedpur to other places so that is how we are growing in india let we'll us see what more to come right
1: so the the earlier point you made about how you've made it easy for acquisitions to become a plug and play integration so i'm now i'm getting a better sense of what you meant by that in the context of how you're saying you're moving uh, you know uh, sort of the centrality of operations uh, back to india can you give us one or two examples of the kind of uh, challenges you had to tackle things that you had to keep in mind in figuring out what's the right way of doing this plug and play Integration on the on the tech front when you are anticipating so many acquisitions and you know different systems and so on.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So what we did first was we focused on charter Steel, and at that time, I will go back to 2018 when I started in this myself. I started in this role, but there were a lot of investments and uh, uh, that I also inherited. And in my role, I want to point out that it is. Not just the traditional IT; it is IT, digital, and automation. And this was this strategy, this direction was taken in 2018, and uh, it was it was a strategic decision because the automation is the level two systems in our parlance. It is a plant automation that just sits on the electrical layer, right? It is extremely important for an industry like us, and that we included as part of information technology because there is a lot of data that is getting generated and all that. Having said that. I will again go back to the 7 layer architecture to address the question on challenges. First, we said that we will create a standard template. And what is a standard template? Standard template is the mothership that is Tata Steel at that time. Meramangali was not there. Long Products was not there. Nilachal was not there. Kalinganagar was there, right? So this is a standard template. It has to have a standard business process of how to run, say, HR, how to run finance, how to run accounts, uh, how to run IT, right? how to run procurement, how to buy coal, how to process. There's a standard template and all of it is codified. In our case, it is SAP and it can be any other ERP, but as I said, it is a single instance S4HANA implementation. So all of it is codified, the transactional part of the business there, which is one template. And we decided this is the template. Second is that we said that there'll be one template of manufacturing execution system which are running the mills, right? Then there are are ways of sensorization, right? Every asset we wanted to have degrees of sensorization so that we can read it from from a distance and do whatever we need to do with the data. Now, coming to this, what we said is that whenever we are going to acquire, suppose, I'll, I'll just recount my experience with, When we acquired Bhutian Steel, we found that they didn't have systems. But we always have an opening day requirement, which is governed by regulation, right? As soon as the approval comes in from NCLT, so there is not much room available for us. And we don't know exactly on what day the, the approval is going to come. So we have to be proactively prepared. We just cannot start preparing. Once government or regulatory bodies gives us the approval, there is no time because these IT systems really take time to uh, kind of get implemented. So what we did is that we copied the entire template of Tata Steel onto Bhushan Steel. They didn't have a system. We just said, we will just copy the same template. We transferred people from the mothership organization to that organization. right? To understand the business processes and slowly infuse the Tata Steel way of running the business for similar lines of operation. And there were new lines of operations also for which we learned from the, the asset that we acquired. And then it is a big challenge because when people go from here, they are used to much higher level of comfort in the sense that there is a running SAP, there is running surround systems, so which makes it easy to transact in SAP. A lot of productivity tools are there. And there suddenly those people have to run transactions there without this. It is a difficult proposition for business. So there is a lot of effort. But that is learning. So and that is best practice sharing from both ways. So it goes from data still to that, from safety, from HR, from IT, from finance and all that. And also there are some learnings that we get from the, that asset was doing well earlier and in terms of operation and we invite that. That's that's the culture of the company. We Keep on learning and be respectful to every entity right? It is not that we are acquiring a company it does does not mean that we will bulldoze all of our processes there. We also learn if there is something good there. So, we do that. And But we since it's a different legal entity, to answer your question directly, we put a wall. We ran two instances because it was still a different company. It was running a starter still BSL. It has a different stock trading and all that. So, it was running that SAP, but the same SAP. As soon as the approval came, we just broke the wall. That is the plugin. We just broke the wall, added the number of users to our domain. So our users got added by another, say, whatever number of people. I don't exactly know the number, say whatever number of people, 7,000, 8,000, whatever. So just got added. So I increased my capacity of processing, increased my machine capacity, cloud capacity, so that it can take the extra load. But the business processes were seamlessly integrated because it was running the same process by that time. Right. Same thing for Nilaj. We created a, now we have created a multi, we call it a ERP, SAP, which is a multi tenant. So, from a technology perspective, I created a multi tenancy architecture. Now, since it's a different legal entity, and as long as you remain a different legal entity, I cannot just bring your data onto the mothership. So, I give you a room, but the room exactly looks like my room. So, it's like a hotel. Every room looks the same, but it has a different key. It is personalized for you. Now you have a key. I have a key. We have the same amenities, same room, everything. But I cannot go into your room because I don't have access and you cannot come into my room because you don't have access. That's the plug and play on top. Now, if it is all a part of our family, then it is a matter of one key and then you just move into from one room to other, right? You have access. So that is the whole point. So that is the plug and play we created. So this seven-layer architecture, the macro cloud data AI is the strategy. The seven-layer architecture is our building the road and how we build the road, how we build the IT architecture. And the process is then we use the same template so that we don't create another instance and create another instance and run different acquisitions in different manner. We run the same process. And if there is a separate process, we cut it the same. So simply put, it is a hotel, this is a best example with similar size, similar looking rooms. Yeah, there will be some premium rooms, some economical rooms, uh, depending on the business needs, but more or less it is a standardized function. And uh, so that is how we have done.
1: Typically, how, how much time does it take for you to integrate uh, the two IT systems? I mean, maybe pick any one of your examples and give us a sense of how long it takes.
0: Yeah, it depends. So Bhushan uh, Steel, I would say the IT system, see, and, and there are different IT systems. So if you look at the, the major... Capital expenditure IT systems, like if you have to go for the automation systems or the electrical systems, there you have to buy equipment, buy sensors, there's a lot of capital investment. It is more hardware than the software. There it will typically take year or year plus, somewhere between one to two years, right? And progressively, so we first enable all the furnaces, blast furnaces, because that's important for us. So depending on the operational criticality, we will make those investments and so that we can run it more effectively. And it is all about data. Second is that the, the ERP system, for example, a company like and Steel, which is now Tata Steel, to stabilize everything, the SAP implementation was six months and then stabilizing MES layer and all that will be a matter of one, one plus year. Neel we did it flat, I think 10 to 11 weeks. We promised 12 weeks, we did it before time because it was a standard template, it was a smaller company, just went and on the cloud we did that, right? So, and similarly, if you are now looking at other smaller subsidiaries, we have a lot of subsidiaries, both in Europe as well as India. We have also created, we we have a major transformational program called One Reporting and One Planning, which I did not talk about earlier. And this is a major, major investment. We said that since we have so many companies and we have so many subsidiaries, If we have to close our books, and if we leave it to individual company closing their books, everybody will take their own sweet time. Everybody will do their own different method. And then they will give us the the annual closing. And then by the time we close our books, we'll never be able to uh, close it. So we took up a project that how can we close our books in flat 15 days? From whatever 45 plus days we used to take earlier. So we implemented a concept called central finance. And we call it one finance at an architecture. level. Central finance is a technology. So whatever may be your system, I am running SAP, somebody is running Oracle, somebody is running a different version of SAP, somebody is running Excel sheet, somebody has no system and manually entered it. So while we proliferate the single instance across or the multi-tenancy that I talked about, we put central finance on top of it, which has an ability to read from multi-variant systems underneath and give me one chart of it. And one closing, which is implemented as we speak, right? So the central finance is driving a standardisation, single reporting platform across Netherlands, UK, Southeast Asia, all India subsidiaries, all Europe subsidiaries, and so we are able to close our books as a single entity, right? So similarly, we are going with one treasury. We have one ana plan. Ana plan is our planning mechanism. So the point is that the financial planning and the business planning is done on one platform across all the subsidiary companies. So. As a larger gamut of things. When I said plug and play, all these go into that. All these go into standardization. One enterprise system, you become a part of it. Oh, okay, today you are a different legal entity, so you cannot become a part of it, but be the same as me, so that I don't have data discrepancy. And I will have a data capture mechanism on top. That is why the data platform is important. It does not matter what system you run. I will get an universal data layer single version of truth on which my business will be able to do reporting, planning, analytics, AI, and create business insights. So that's the architecture.
1: On the automation front, can you talk about what is the most what are the most important areas where you are really pushing for automation? And I'm also kind of driving towards, you know, getting you to talk about how the transition at Tatra Steel might be happening on your supervision from what you all call industry 4.0 towards 5.0. Maybe you could start with what are the important areas where automation is very important for you?
0: The framework that I talked about, I named it the similar architecture as Industry 4.0. And now I have named it Industry 4.0 and 5.0 because there is a distinct difference between 4.0 and 5.0 and I'll explain what it is. So what we have done at a a macro level, if you look at Tata Steel, we are running around, I think it is right now around 1400 plus descriptive analytical models, which our operation runs on those models. It is nothing manual. It is the model running it, descriptive. That means it is on a tableau screen and you're able to kind of uh, do your own analytics on it and take decisions. That is one aspect. Pure AI models. When I say AI, AI is a gamut of analytics, mathematical AI, generative AI, all of that included. 250 plus models actually are machine language enabled. they run in an automated manner. Generating yield, energy, throughput, quality, productivity. We typically call it EHQP in operations, right? So that is the outcome business KPI. And all of this is generating a KPI, which we manage internally through a transformation program where I have to drive around $2 billion EBITDA improvement through digital transformation alone, which translates to around 16,000 crores. So, And this is every year we reset. If my profit increases, so it gets reset. And on top of it, we have to do that. So there is a quantitative target as well. But coming back to the point, these 250 models, what do they do? So you take an example. You go to standardization. So you take an example of, say, pure productivity or pure emission control or pure uh, uh, what goes into the furnace, right? So I cannot talk about 250 models, but I'll give you a few important ones. Let us talk about how do we buy coal. Let me start with the raw material on the other end of the value chain. So procurement, global procurement has been given a model which predicts the spot price of coal or other materials, whether it is zinc or something else, that this is the right time to buy it. This is the right place to buy it from. This is the right entity to buy from. That is one aspect. So we optimize the, the price point and also it looks at the quality. It comes and feeds into another model, which we call integrated margin management, which is an extremely cross-functional team, drives it, extremely important model, which says, this is my inventory stock today. This is my operations requirement right now in Kalinganagar, in Meramandali, in Jamshedpur, in Nilachal, all those places where I will produce from. So, And it is a challenge because supply chain is getting restricted. There are a lot of, it's a VUCA world. So every time there is a new surprise and all that. So is the raw material available? Now we will say, the model will run and say, this is the raw material that is available. This is the coal blend that I predict that you use. And this is your inventory. So matching this whole thing, optimizing and matching and telling the business, you should use this code instead of that code. Because it is not about local optimization. It is about global optimization. That's what the model keeps us honest, right? And then the supply chain person or the supply chain group will then decide that what coal or what commodity to allocate to Kalinganagar, what to Jamshedpur, and what to Meramandali and vice versa, right? So that is another optimization. So that comes from the raw material supply chain. And I'm not going into the logistics and all that stuff that is fully automated, right? Now you come to the furnace. Now what goes into the furnace is a chemistry and what comes out of the furnace is either a molten metal or a steel, right? So it all depends on the, it, it is the finest art of cooking. Steel making, as I understand as non steel, is the finest art of cooking. So, you have to be very delicate on what are the chemical mix that is going in. The model suggests that this is your optimal mix, which will generate the best yield, will use the lowest energy, will generate the best throughput, and hence your productivity will improve, your emissions will improve, and your cost will come down. That is what the model does. There's a complicated mathematical model, all AI which is implementing this and the iron making team is getting the best molten metal or the steel making team is getting the the most defect-free steel plate out of it. Then there are image analytics that we run. These are again AI models where we see that there is a defect in the surface of the steel. Some dust has come in, some bubble has come in. So how do we predict these defects early on in the process Rather than when the steel is produced and you find a defect, you have to just uh, cut it from there and you cannot ship it to the customer. Right? It becomes costly. So in the through process, and these are technologically advanced projects we are running to see how we can find an error in the chemical mix itself, in the infusion, in the through process, rather than finding in the sheet through a camera or a um, uh, uh, what you call a camera view or an image analytics view. Technically, we call it the surface inspection system and all that stuff. Then it comes to forecasting and planning. Again, AI models are running. So the customer demand is this. This is my production. How do we match? And the maximum we can match, the maximum benefit it is. And then there are customer analytics models and then there are other models in the horizontal functions like financial analytics, HR analytics and all that. So to give you a macro view, if you come to Jamshedpur, if you go to Kalinganagar, I'll be able to show, which has never happened in steel industry in India, Never happened in the last 116 years of Tata Steel because as you mentioned, this is an orthodox industry. So if you come to the campus, you will see Jamshedji statue and operations would never come on this side of the statue. They've always been on the other side. For the first time in the history and it has been running for the last two years, operators and operations are running from the IT building. We have vacated the IT building and given it to operations. I work from anywhere. Before covid technology allows us today so whether it is finance hr it or procurement who has a kind of a whoever has a desk job who can connect a laptop or an ipad and work is working whoever has to touch the machine is in the plant okay but now we have asked the operations to come and sit in the it building which is 300 kilometers away from the mines which is 10 kilometers away from the real operations And they are able to see on an LED screen, and it's a control room, you can imagine, with a lot of panels. The digital twins are running. It's a replication of the replica of the plant, replica of every equipment, replica of every process. It is running its own analytics, giving alerts. It is a lights out operation. So we call it integrated ROC, integrated remote operations control. So all of our agnomerous business is running from there. Our minds are running from there supervised and controlled, the DCS control, the OT layer, you talked about IoT, through the sensor, it is voice, video, data, captured, superimposed on one screen. So, I can actually control operations from there. Now, there is an emergency team who is there at the site in case something goes wrong, the electrical failure or power outage and all that, they will take over. Otherwise, you can run it remote. So, my vision is that going forward, maybe by 2026, maybe by 2027, I don't know, but We should be able to run entire steel operations from anywhere in the country or anywhere. It is a matter of since data is on the cloud and it is all interconnected from sensors, real-time and 5G will come by then. I'll be able to run real-time operations from anywhere, from any screen. I can sit at home and run it if I have the understanding how to read the screen. So it is much more than a digital twin. It is an operations train. Our maintenance is centrally coordinated. We call it IMEC, Integrated Maintenance Excellence Center. So the prescriptibility, predictability is all driven from a central control tower. Safety, we are watching the plant. Every operation, every human who is wearing a, if I'm not wearing a helmet, there is an alert in the central command control it goes to the local supervisor in real time and he will go and counsel that person you are not wearing a helmet, you are not wearing a safety glass, you are not wearing a PPE, not wearing the gloves, not wearing the boot. So the person can be safe or somebody is sick we can retreat. So I'm just giving you a sense because time is short everything is remote. That is one of the strategies. The other strategy is personalization. Creating insights for you as an individual person as an individual employee. right? So these are the kind of things that we are able to do. So just to give you a flavor, you asked me a difference between 4.0 and 5.0 and what is industry 4.0. My statement on this, industry 4.0 is has driven efficiency to the hilt. So it is a very efficiency-driven driving engine, right? It's a construct to drive efficiency. Yet QP, yield, energy, throughput, quality, productivity. Again, yield, energy, throughput, quality, productivity. And again and again, it will repeat. It doesn't come out of the cycle. In that process, and this is my personal view and I will quote, that I feel that Industry 4.0 has created, arguably, some competition between human and machine. And it is a German template or a Western template, I would say, I would not say German template, a Western template. We have to be sensitive how to apply in an Indian demography. Here we have a much larger human capital than the Western world. So we cannot just bring in a template that is driving efficiency onto here. We have to also take care of livelihood of people. We have to be sensitive. We cannot just say that, okay, now the machine will do what we are doing. So this is what Industry 4.0 has done. Industry 5.0 has brought in empathy. The fundamental difference between 4.0 and 5.0 is empathy. What 5.0 has done, neutralized that efficiency factor to make it effective. It has told the technology and putting those guardrails to say that you need to be effective. Driving efficiency is good, but you are you have to be effective and it become a co-pilot. So 5.0 will enable the human and machine to work together and collaborate. So I have my favorite example. All of us have learned to drive way back, at least me, that we used to look backwards when we reverse our car. Because, uh, so because my father used to teach me that you look, look like this and. Uh, You reverse your car, right? I used to drive an ambassador then. (laughs) Okay. So now you look at your dashboard or the the electronic dashboard in the front of the car and reverse. Have we lost our job as a driver? The answer is no. So nobody loses their job because technology is coming in. So I call it a co-pilot. There is a lot of fear. I call it a myth that, okay, AI will come and take over the job or 5.0 will come. That is what 5.0 is doing. It is making the human and tech collaborate and coexist, our crane operators. They have a 360 degree view camera too. So look into the camera and moving the crane. It's a dangerous machinery. I'm talking about huge cranes. I'm talking about ladle operators. I'm talking about steel operations, which anytime, unless you have the camera view, one degree of misalignment can cause a huge accident. Huge accident. And there'll be fatalities and all that. So all of it is controlled to keep people safe keep the operations safe, yet drive the efficiency and make the human more effective. So operators, these 250 algorithms, initially operators used to say that the job will go. But then they used to look at the blast furnace and there was no wall between the furnace and the operator. So you can have a flare come in and that's a dangerous situation with heat and soil and all that. So we said we put a wall and we put the operator behind the wall. Now you cannot see the furnace or the flame anymore. The how can you take decision? We gave him high-definition cameras to start with. So there was a panel and he was looking under the panel. They suddenly realized that he's able to see a much better image of the flame and recognize what is the temperature, when to intervene, what to do with just a joystick and that visual image. He became a better operator. So he became friend with AI. Initially he thought AI is my enemy, he became friend. And that is a lot of cultural change, a lot of You can imagine there's a lot of conversation that happens and people have to go through their experience to understand. Then they started asking for more. They said, give me this, give me this, give me this. So what started our transformation journey as a push, and I used to really push, it became a pull and a very, very significant pull from business. And our transformation is all KPI-led, business, KPI-led, business-owned, technology is just an enabler as I started my conversation there, So you can see it, has, it makes it safe, Safe. it makes it more effective. It brings in that empathy and that is where the technology is going. So yeah, we have to put all the guardrails. We talk about responsible AI. AI can be very dangerous and AI can be our best friend. So that's how we have to socially manage it.
1: You know, you've given me a sense of how there is a massive transformation going on at the company at so many different levels. So the question is, if you step back kind of and look at all of this, can you think aloud about what is the big picture here for Tata Steel? Big picture here for Tata Steel
0: is that as our MD keeps on saying that we need to be future ready. So that is the guiding mantra. We need to be future ready. It is not about running the operations today. It is always there. There We have to run our operations safely, efficiently and effectively today, which is fine. But this company has sustained for 116 years or maybe 117 years plus, not because that something has been done right today. There are a lot of things has been done right from the beginning. A lot of things has to be done right. So it has to be sustainability is not about just emission control and less carbon and decarbonization. Sustainability is also from a business perspective. And the growth has to come in a sustainable manner. So future is very important. So we have a plan of 2030. What do we do? How do we make it safe and sustainable because the business conditions are changing, right? And how do we make sure that the company continues to operate? How it is operating today and in the future, in the, future, uh, in the same or in a better manner. So that is where investment comes in. That is where right thinking comes in. That is where leadership comes in. So digital is something that if you, if you ask me and if you ask any business person, can you not run the steel company without digital? Yeah, you can. But Tata Steel was not doing digital in this focused manner, maybe seven years prior or five years prior or six years prior. So was it not running? Yeah. If you remove digital from uh, the company today, will not the steel company run? It will run. But will it be future-ready? No. Will it be able to face the disruptions? No. When COVID happened, I don't remember the exact dates, but I remember March 31st or something around that, uh, we were in a lockdown situation in 2020. right? So India was locked up. It was, there was absolutely no noise. Entire business, and I'm talking about a 117-year-old company who has never even imagined how to run a steel company remotely or virtually. And in Jamshedpur, office or workplace is two minutes away from home. Everybody lives there. Everybody loves to go to office. Their very physical mindset, very physical company moved completely virtual overnight because technology was there. So it was an investment that was made prior to make it future-ready with all the network bandwidth, with all the cyber security because work from home has to be enabled. All of it was done prior. It was nothing that afterthought, right? From a digital perspective. Digital twins were there so that you can look at the plant sitting on your screen remotely. It was possible. So future-ready, now we are thinking how to create the supply chain of the future. We're running a massive transformation program called SCM that is Integrated Supply Chain Management. What are the next practices? How the supply chain of the future will look? We are talking about marketing and sales, Asiana, Compass, Digica, all these platforms are focused towards how steel will be bought in the future. Individual home building, people will be buying online. It's a physique. You can still ask, push people to go and buy from our distributed dealer in the store. But can I send steel to their doorstep where they need it? So that's the transformational thinking, right? If you look at buying coal sitting on, a, on your computer from, say, some other country, right? That is the model is predicting. Go and buy from here and we can negotiate a contract and all that we are doing. Whom to allocate? It is all that... Everything is now being made possible through a screen. And the screen can be anywhere in the world. That is future-ready. I'm saying business is also thinking about. Because I'm not an expert in that subject, but how to... Create sustainable furnaces, right? Whether it is an electrical furnace, whether it is the the less carbon emission, the technology, the steel technology change that is also to be made future ready. Then comes talent. The talent. Why I am saying I have I am pushing personally so much on integrated remote operations. We can still be in the center plant and run center plant. We can still be in the mines and run mines. But in the future, will you get the right talent to go to those mines? Will you get the talent to write? come and work in the center plant in that hot, humid, horrific climatic conditions and in hazardous work zone? It is not safe. So talent of tomorrow may not want to come unless we tell them that you can sit wherever you are and still run the port, still be trained on steel technology. So if you come to our control tower, it has become talent agnostic. Talent can be sitting in Jamshedpur and run business in Kalingan. If Jamshedpur is off, God forbid, for, say, pandemic or similar, some situation, I can still run the steel operation. I can run it from Bombay. So the point is, if you look from a talent dimension, that demography is completely changing. If you look at sustainability dimension, as you know, all of us know, sustainability dimension is completely changing. If you look at steel as a cyclical business, and if you look at the VUCA world, anything can happen anytime, whether it's a geopolitical situation, whether it is a climate condition, whatever it is, or an economic condition, We should be resilient and that is where technology plays a huge role because everything is all about data. How humans take a decision, you have more information, you ask people, if non-digital, and you take a decision based on data you gather. That is where information technology is now taking the the boardroom place, practically speaking, the seats at the table, to bring the data to you. But I'm not replacing the human. I'm just aiding the human with the much needed additional intelligence, which is called AI, artificial intelligence. Then you apply your judgment and your gut feel, your experience onto that and create a much informed, better decision so that it is future ready, more resilient, more shockproof. So that is where it is. Give you a high level answer. I can go on on this subject, but I think future ready is the big picture. And uh, if I have to break down into... What are the three macro things that we want to deliver? It is remote operations, strategically, because I feel it is much needed in the future and we are very proud that we have done whatever we have done. Hyper-personalization and personalization. That is, we will work for individual. Every individual employee has a different need. We have a my app application so that the workplace, we are not asking people to go to work. We are saying, I will bring the work to you. And you customize how you want to do your work but it will be on right? So that is a possibility. We are making the worker's life very, very, uh, what you call, as comfortable as we can make by giving him more intelligence, bringing the worker or the operator in an air-conditioned room in a remote operations, right? And the third dimension is excellence at all touch points. Whoever, whatever is the stakeholder, the shareholder or an employee or a customer or whoever it is, whatever interaction we have, with chat still, it should be an excellence. So that is our dream. That is what our MD keeps on pushing us. So that's our aspiration. We'll get there someday. We're on that journey.
1: One question I wanted to ask was, uh, I mean, you did mention talent. Um, I'm thinking part of your mandate is to uh, continuously deepen the the bench of leaders uh, on your team. Can you give us a sense of some of the most important things you're doing on that front?
0: Yeah. So, as a as a Tata company and a Tata lifer, I would say that I have seen my experience that our bench strength is extremely deep. I've never seen in this in my career. I've never worked in any other company other than TCS and Tata Steel. Any uh, leader, they are missed personally, but professionally, I've always seen that another person whoever comes in has done a equal or better job. Right. So that means the bench strength has been there. So the point here is that. First is the culture that taking care of people. That is an ethos, right? Different Tata Group companies will do it in a different way. As I have seen TCS and Tata Steel, methods may be different, but the point is the, the focus on their, their overall well-being is the most important. thing. If you go and talk to our VP HR, what she will say that so much of emphasis on their well-being whether it's a mental well-being, whether it's a physical well-being. We just discussed yesterday about a health app. How to make people more healthy without asking them to do anything, we should motivate them to do something. Eat well, exercise, take care of yourself. How we will do that through digital intervention is something TCS has also done very well and Tata Steel is also now doing. So if we take care of the people overall, then they will give their best. And if they're not giving their best, how to help them to give their best, right? So, those are structural interventions and all that. Second is that enabling and adopting whatever I talked about in the last 40 minutes or so, it all goes into adopting to the new generation or the new ways of working. If we are are Tata Steel and we have stood there for 120 years and this is my method and you have to come and work in my method, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So again, the question, previous question on future readiness, it comes to that we are taking care of the future talent. We're taking care of their needs and wants. We, are, we have a strategy and we have a policy for gig workers. We're allowing them to come in and work right, through digital platforms and all that. We're training them digitally. We're using AR, ER, VR, we're using metaverse so that they can be anywhere in the country and still be employed. So all those count. We are a very human friendly uh, company. right? So, the number of transgenders employed in the company, I I don't think any other company in India has ever done it. In the operations, number of women in the operations, we have programs after programs, not just to create an impact in the the media. Really, we are doing so. And we believe that that will create that. If you come to Jamshedpur, we have our own sports club, right? Why? We want to create Olympians for the future. That's our investment. So, investing in people, Hari, is, is the key point, which... Keeps the talent motivated and we have many, many leadership training programs, many interventions within the group, outside the group, it's at different levels, which always trains the people. And I have, I always say that dealing with ambiguity is the first and foremost skill set you should imbibe. So pushing people, I personally believe in pushing people out of the comfort zone. Not everybody will agree. Everybody has their own method. I give difficult, I give aspirational goals, like i I want nobody when nobody is thinking about remote operations or in steel industry i would say this is what i need to be done this needs to be done so people initially will get into shock but then they will accept it they will understand it and once they have done it they said i have also done it so ordinary people can do extraordinary things (laughs) so i think that is how we are are pushing very nice
1: Uh, truly uh Super conversation for me, sir. Totally enjoyed it. Don't know where the time went. Thank you so much for your time. Very Mm -hmm. generously you made time for me. Definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Sure, sure. Very nice meeting you. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Arukali. Thank you for listening.